Philip, what do you call a uh, adequately organized worker-owned factory? Uh, base as hell. A satisfactory. <laughs> uh, that so, that pun seems so obvious in retrospect, and yet <laughs> I suppose so, that that's what makes a dad joke a dad joke is that like you you feel at the end of it. I really should have guessed that, but didn't. <laughs> um, so welcome to Raise Them Left, a podcast about parenting from a leftist perspective and lens. Um, this is part two, so if you're listening to it right now uh, and you haven't listened to part one, this is going to be weird and confusing, and you, you should go listen to part one. And uh, so last week we discussed, um, oh, I got to think all the way back to last week. What was it that we talked about? Uh, <laughs> ah, latchkey parenting. Uh, and now this week we're going to talk about helicopter parenting. The Oscar goes to you, by the way. <laughs> I'm sure they can't tell by our clothes that no time has passed for us when a week has passed for them. <laughs> uh, but still. To be fair, right now, it is completely reasonable for me to be wearing the same set of clothes for multiple days in a row. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose not... mine's just red from, you know, they can't see like the the writing on it. It's like a little, you know, yeah. but. Yeah, the writing that says, um, um, uh, cast off your chains, uh, the time is now. <laughs> oh, I wish. It was so cool. It just has the uh, the quote from that old SNL skit, Deep Thoughts, that says, uh, before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in your shoes. That way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away and you have their shoes. <laughs> so... Um... <laughs> yeah, so this week, uh, so as I said, we're talking about helicopter parenting. Um, so like last week, let's dive into what it is. Um, there, there was one of these that, and, and not to call you out completely, but there was one of these that you said at one point, I think in a group chat we were in, that you hadn't heard of. Um, between latchkey, oh, I hadn't heard of latchkey parenting when, when you first used the term. Hmm. Um, I was, I mean, I guess I'm vague. I was vaguely familiar with the idea of like some kids like are home alone without parents sometimes, like even when they're young, like I kind of knew that that was a thing that some people did, but I never had heard the term latchkey parenting to describe it. Hmm. It's interesting to me because it was, it's just like a thing that I've had like bragged to me so many times. Like I was a latchkey parent. I was from the tough generation that had to learn how to raise ourselves and i was just always like that's toxic as shit but okay um but I, it's like i wish i was as lucky as you and i hadn't heard of it um but yeah, I'm i mean helicopter parenting is definitely something i've heard about like that was i feel like all over my childhood like discourse about helicopter parenting and like that it was bad or people saying like trying to defend it or whatever yeah, so this is, and I find that interesting, and that was kind of why I was uh, inquiring, because this is something I think is interesting about these two, and that helicopter parenting um, is relatively newer, not quite as uh, parsed out. Like, you know, there's studies on uh, latchkey parenting, and there really isn't quite as much on helicopter parenting. This is one that I hadn't heard of, actually, until I was in college, and when I was in college, I heard of it through... Uh, friends of mine who were teachers and uh, who were dealing with a bunch of helicopter parents who in college were like, you know, hovering over their college students uh, in aggressive and frustrating ways for teachers and professors. So 
the definition is a parent who is extremely involved, controlling, and attentive to a child's experiences and issues, specifically, in my experience at least, within educational institutions. Um, so in some ways we see that I, I see in like some of the things, this is one where I'm, you know, you might call me a little wrong, uh, in some of my assertions here, because again, it's not being pulled so much from like hard studies as it is from like general vibes from the internet. Um, and so I see a lot of things in writing of this and like, you know, ways that, uh, like, um, opinion pieces have been written about it. It kind of sees it as like a reaction to latchkey parenting by folks who were latchkey parented. Um, you know, it was like, okay, well, I'm going to take that opposite mm. route from this thing that I ra I was born or I was raised into. Um, the initial metaphor we see come up in 1969 uh, in Between Parents and Teenager by Dr. Uh, Haim Gino. Uh, me and pronunciations will never be good. Uh, and it, but it didn't really become popular until the late 1980s and gained more notoriety into the 2000s as academic institutions started noticing things such as parents calling students in college to wake them up in the morning uh, or showing up to co-attended college functions and class meetings. So, like, I had a really weird experience with this, in my opinion, where when I was getting ready for my study abroad, um, I was invited to uh, an orientation meeting that I showed up to. So it was like everybody who was going to China went to this big orientation meeting to where we were going to learn like basic things about how our time in China was going to be. And when I showed up, everybody's parents were with them. And this was a thing that the school had planned on. And I was just awkwardly there by myself. And people were like, where, where's your parents? And I'm like, well, they're not here. I'm 22. I don't bring my parents to things, to meetings. <laughs> and then, like, people were, like, treating me like an orphan. Like, oh, I'm so sorry they didn't make it. And it's like, what? No, they didn't, I didn't invite them. I'm an adult. <laughs> and so, yeah. So, you, you know, this kind of crops up, like, really heavily in educational institutions. Uh, but we also do see this stretch out across other social institutions. Uh, this is kind of associated with the expansion and growth of preschool pre preschool programs and then pre-preschool programs and after-school programs and then after-after-school programs. Like, being in the Parks and Rec field, this is a place where I see this happen really, still really aggressively, even though it, and some of this has kind of fallen out of favor. But I feel like it cropped up with my generation of a lot of parents who thought that just every single moment of a child's time should be structured. Um, so you wake up in the morning and you immediately go into a program. Um, you know, the, the idea that you would have like a few hours to yourself after school is just kind of absurd. It's like, no, you have to be in a sport and in a, in a, in like a dance class and a X, Y, Z, something that is structured. And I've ran into this a lot in, you know, in like programming for parks and rec programs, not in current place that I'm at, but in my previous employment where I, you know, by nature of my, my experience working with kids, I want to give them a considerable amount of free time to be expressive and creative and do some of their own stuff. And this was like seen as just absurd by my administration my, my my administration was like what no you can't have unplanned time in your day every moment needs to be structured with something they are explicitly doing 
And I'm like, what? That's not how kids work. That's absurd. Why would you do that? And that kind of folds into this. It's this is kind of where some of that's coming from. Um, and so you know, we also see that tied to like predilections with athletics, gifted programs. Um, you know. Uh, kind of finding anything that they excel at rather than something they enjoy and engage with freely. Uh, and there's these perceived benefits that come along with it. Uh, creating carefully curated childhoods makes them kind of free of the possibility of anything bad happening, right? Um, there's this idea that if your kids are always in a program, they're not going to be out on the streets. Uh, they're not going to be out getting in trouble. They're not going to be, you know, hanging out with other kids their same age, learning bad things. They're not going to be having sex. They're not going to be doing drugs. Um, but it, it, that doesn't really play out, and I'll get to that in the documented effects here. But uh, other positive effects is this idea of, like, building a foundation for a successful future, building a structured lifestyle so that going forward in their life, they'll have these very structured goals, very structured life that they'll just continue living as this like very well-oiled machine for productivity. And that's really, in my opinion, what all of this is about is like maximizing productivity. It's this thing that we kind of self-tell ourselves of like, oh, we have to be productive all the time. And it's instilling that into a kid. And this is where I find your, you know, to to harken back to something we were discussing at the beginning of part one, where I find your analogy to neoliberalism particularly compelling, because neoliberalism very much has this central narrative by which, you know, like the X that when things go wrong, there's never a question about the centrality, the, the central correctness of that narrative. It's very similar to the justifications of some of the conservative stuff we were talking about, you know, ways of enacting certain things that that seemed like ordained by nature. I would say that like there's this other view that's like no 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 it's not uh it's stuff isn't ordained by nature there's no god telling you how things should be we figured it out we figured out the best way for things to be and here's the pattern that that identifies a successful life and it's kids go to school they get good grades they graduate you know valedictorian they get a they go to a good college they get a degree and they get a high paying job uh, in in some field that requires that college degree, right? Like there's this like thing and any any failures along that route, any ways in which that doesn't like work in a particular situation is usually like, oh, you just gotta, you know, either find the right program to get people, you know, onto that track from where they veered off of it or anything. It's like any deviation is immediately met with like, hold on, move back over here, get back on the path, do the thing. And it's never seen as like maybe we should allow deviations maybe like all there's not only one or two ways to to do you know to have a good life um and so i see that very similarly you know here it's like that oh you know we need to have a good structured life lots of activities to enrich it to expand your thing to do this thing activity 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 fill it up and so like you never have a chance to veer off the path and um, so that you eventually arrive at, you know, success. Of course, the fundamental question that both at the economic level with neoliberalism and the parenting level with, you know, helicopter parenting is, is that success worthwhile? Is that success something we should strive for? Is it good? Now, I am sympathetic to the group of people who 
might say like, well, you know, it's important to to teach your children how to succeed in the current society that they exist in because they need to be able to survive. And sure, you know, like I don't have any problem at the end of the day with like extracurricular activities or a gifted intelligence program or like, you know, STEM club or whatever you, you know, is supposed to, you know, does in some way play into capitalism. I'm not like, I don't essentialize like anything that remotely helps capitalism is inherently bad, but like there, it's important to be making that distinction while in the background questioning, like, you know, is this something that, how, how much should I push this? Right. Like you, you, it's, you don't see it as what you shouldn't see it as is like, this is the correct path. I need my kid to be on this path in order to have them arrive at success with a capital S, you know, TM defined, uh, you know, correctly by society, but you do need to give them a set of tools and like a, give them some sort of sense of like, hey, you know, if you're going to go off in this direction, just know that's going to make these things harder and you're going to have to compensate for that. Because if you don't compensate for that, you're going to get crushed or whatever. So like, you know, um, I feel like I heard this a lot as a kid when it came to like careers that were not in STEM in particular. It was like, well, you couldn't go. Like there was a lot of like, you shouldn't be a musician. You shouldn't be an artist. You shouldn't be like these things because that's bad. You, there's no living to be made there. You need to go into STEM, you need to get a real job, uh, you know, filling out paperwork in some place or whatever, you know, like there. Um, whereas I think like, instead of saying like, that's not, that's not a career instead say like, hey, you wanna be YouTuber, <laughs> okay? That's a very saturated thing. It's very competitive and it requires a lot of front loading of work and effort and if you're gonna like go off and and do that and then you want to make that your like legit career you got to be prepared for all the the difficulty that comes with that and you, you know you you better be evaluating that cost but it, instead it often gets framed as like that's just not a real job <laughs> yeah no 100% and it's and 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 that's one of the things about like that in particular like i went through all of that too and it's of course a concern like and a thought I have with raising my own son um, is that of course I want him to be of of revolutionary mind, right? I want him to understand the problems of capitalism. I want him to take a part in the dismantling of capitalism and you know patriarchy and all of these things. But I also want him to be able to function and have a roof over his head and have security and have, uh, you know, the privileges that I enjoy and maybe a few more. Um, so, yeah, I want him to be able to function within capitalism uh, in the same way that I have to function in capitalism, um, but also sure. to have the freedom to do that in a way that doesn't crush him as a human being and allows him to maybe help dismantle the whole thing. This idea of revolutionary is a multi-generational project. And, and yeah, you know, and I mean, there's ways to do like some of that, have those discussions while into, well, you know, the thing here that I think is interesting is we talk about, well, you can't um, encourage those things and prepare them well for, surviving in a system of capitalism except that by this is very similar right to 
well, if you teach kids about sex ed, then they're just going to have more sex. And no, what ends up happening is they're going to do it anyways, but they're going to be less prepared for it. And then they're going to run into problems like STDs and teen pregnancies and such and so forth. They're going, your kid wants to be a YouTuber. You tell them, no, that's not a real job. Go get a real job, like a good, honest, taxpaying American capitalist worker. Um, They're just going to go be a YouTuber anyway, but they're not going to understand the capitalistic realities that exist around the framework of that job, and they're not going to be able to do it successfully, if they were ever going to be able to do it successfully at all. They're just not going to be best prepared to be successful at that, Um, because that thing is a job. That is a very real job, a hard job, uh, and a difficult job to get into, but it's a real job. I went through that with, you know, a music, you know, with a music career and with, uh, you know, my, my degree and it was originally in media production. And yeah, I went through a lot of that. Uh, my parents were thankfully extremely supportive and very open about like, well, here's some of these difficulties that are going to exist in that career that you want to get into. But you know what? There's difficulties in every career. Fuck yeah. it. Go ham. If you want to do it, do it. <laughs> what's really fascinating to me is that, is that, uh, there's a particular area in which like this, like cautious, get a real job type of narrative completely disappears around sports. Mm-hmm. Everyone is just like completely has this like just massive fantasy in their head of sports. Like I'm like, that's how you like, that's the lottery thing that everyone's like, yeah, let's do that. Like, you know, there's, uh, like people have this thing of like, uh, I mean, colleges, God, I mean, like locally here in Norman, Oklahoma, the like, we, we joke that there are two religions in primary religions in Oklahoma. And the biggest one is OU football. And the second one is Christianity. And the, the amount of money that goes into that. And you, the, there are all kinds of like arguments and discourse about like, Oh, well, it pays for itself. Like, eh, maybe it's not really, but like the, the whole atmosphere of like college football and college basketball and like the the you know the high schools that feed into that and the recruitments uh, that go into like curating the the people that go into that system that eventually feeds into the NFL and the NBA and all that stuff like like there's so much money and time spent public dollars spent on curating this fantasy of like becoming a professional sports athlete that uh, that kids get pushed into super hard with absolutely no regard for the challenges and uh, and and whatnot that that plays into that and that frustrates me deeply yeah no 100 percent. and and that's i mean that yeah working in parks and recreation i saw that so often it was actually really deeply infuriating because specifically working in poor working class communities um I would always run into this, like, you know, kids would come into the gym and be like, hey, so what do you want to do after high school? And, like, ten kids and nine of them would say, oh, I'm going to be in the NBA. <laughs> like, right, guys, like, plan B. What's plan B? And, I mean, like, and this isn't me saying, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. No, fuck it. You do it. Try it. But what's plan B? And then it would always be like, ah, I don't want to do this, but I guess I'd have to be a welder or something like that. Something that they've been told is the real job thing. Um, but if you ever picked anything in the middle, something that they might actually, you know, when we would talk and get into it and like get into something they're actually into, like, uh, you know, I don't know, I'm going to pull something completely out of my ass, but like one of them drew, like, let's say one of them drew comics. They're like, well, what about comics? Well, come on, that's not a real job. That's not like, that's not, I'm not likely to succeed in that. And I'm like, 
less likely than to be in the NBA, you're five, six. <laughs> like, and that's, this is this thing that kind of comes from parents that, yeah. And I mean, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit running off topic here, but I mean, you're a hundred percent right. And it's, yeah, it's this kind of like a mash of problematic things that we put on kids. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that like the interesting thing about, the whole like plan B thing is like in the sports area in particular, there's this like weird counter narrative that's like being intentionally constructed. Like if you ever listen to like, um, like I, I hear that I hear this in like YouTuber circles as well. Like people who have anyone who's in like a super, super highly competitive thing, which has like incredibly high highs and incredibly low lows. Right. There's this like thing of like people say people say to have a plan b but like when you have a plan b that means you got one foot out the door and you got to be committed and you got to like go all in on this thing and like this like like weird fetishization of like just like completely throwing yourself at a thing you're in a cult now you're not you're not in a career you're in a cult (laughs) and it's like okay look i'm all for like giving it your shot or whatever and like going like 100 percent in or whatever but like not with no there's no safety net in society so you got to prepare one for yourself because like the fundamental reality is like 99 percent of people that attempt this fail so like you're gonna die like you're gonna be homeless it's gonna be awful for you like you have to have a plan b not because like it's not legit or not because you don't want to try your hardest but like you know, you got to have something to fall back on because society will kick you in the fucking teeth. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I mean, this is, yeah, I believe this for any career because of, yeah, my personal life, lived life experience where I've personally watched people I grew up with fall through these cracks uh, with things that seem like not that competitive of fields. Uh, Whatever you're trying to seek out, always have a plan B, maybe a plan C, maybe a plan D. Like, it is good to have contingencies, uh, not in the idea, like, yeah, that, that that whole construct of not having a contingency because you have to be a true believer is cult ideology. It's, it's, yeah. So this one, like, random aside, you know, like, uh, sports, <laughs> sports being kind of like a weird exception to the central narrative of, like, how to succeed. It's, it's society, like, centrally, like like being on the path, so to speak, like sports being this like weird thing that kind of like circles back in uh, at some point, like, you know, we have a lot of like the people that like go on this, right. And they've talked about their like benefits, you know, of, mm-hmm. of, of having like, you know, really well-structured childhood and getting all this enrichment and whatnot. But like, what are the, you know, like similarly, we had people reporting all these great benefits of, you know, latchkey parenting, but the measured effects were less than stellar. I'm curious what the what the actual documented effects of, of helicopter parenting styles is. Yeah. And so with this, because it is a very strong, regimented, very strict, you know, you live the first 18 years of your life being told to do a thing and made to do a thing and forced to do a thing. One of the first, and to me, the biggest uh, documented effects, because I think the most important thing to almost anything is efficacy, um, and that documented effect is the elastic response. So this is where you see college-age teens who have been through this carefully curated childhood experience, very limited experience of freedom. freedom. They don't have any uh, much—they haven't had opportunities to be their own person. They'll— respond elastically they will bounce back uh and 
shut down when it comes to a lot of quote unquote productive uh, endeavors. They'll shut down from those. Um, and you'll see, an, we see an increase in risk behaviors. We see an increase in behavioral issues. We see resistance to structure. And this is one of these things that like in psychology, in child and like adolescent psychology, we even see like this type of a parenting framework is like a risk factor, right? Or do you come from a really strict household where you were told what to do all of the time, which in this case is a polite way of doing that, right? Which is a thing to say about a lot of neo neoliberalism is that it is authoritarianism but not at the end of a of a switch or at the end of a ruler it's well you know i really wanted you to be into x thing because you need to have uh, you need to have all your time structured. I mean, this is something that I experienced in the classroom when I said, hey, kids don't operate this way. You would experience this where when you took away all of the kids on creative time, they were going to find that creative time in the day. And now it's just going to be during my, you know, structured time often during structured time that actually needs to exist because no, we're in class right now. You need to stop, you know, like, uh, you know, swaddling your teddy bear you need to focus on this class uh, not having that outlet causes them to act out and the longer they go without an outlet the bigger some of that act out can be some of that is like uh in a way more sinister than the explicitly authoritarian one like when an authoritarian you know says like do this or i'll shoot you right like that's like fairly straightforward i mean it's it sucks um but like there's no um like it's it's fairly obvious. It's like I want to do a thing. This person's stopping me via a threat, and like the dynamic there is like very clean. Uh, if that, I'm not sure if that's the right term for it, but it's like very well defined. Mm -hmm. um, it's not. It's not. You don't go like. There's no like, like internal conflict about whether or not like who's the bad guy. You know. Whereas with this kind of thing, it's like significantly worse because like, there's tons of justifying ideological ideological like reasons behind a helicopter parent like oh i'm just trying to make sure that you have a good life i'm just trying to make sure that you like have a, a childhood where you got to try a bunch of stuff and i'm just trying to make sure that like you know things don't go off the rails for you because like you know things can be really rough out there and like there's all these kind of justifications that like uh on top of which like pushbacks against it are often seen as like are often like received instead of with like violence or punishment at, like in the traditional sense like with like just like guilt or like things that like essentialize the problem back into them so like there's this sense of like um so at the end of the day if they go like and don't do the thing they're supposed to it's like oh i'm bad and you know like yeah. you know why are I... you trying harder right exactly like there's this kind of like essentializing the failure into the individual um, to avoid the criticism of the structure. Um, and um, I, I see it both at the, you know, obviously like at the leftist level, you see that at the at the top level, very obviously of like, we talk about like panopticon or like any other kind of like stuff where, you know, they sort of like get the, the cop in your head, you know, and, and make it so that like, you don't do the thing you're not supposed to do because uh, that would make you bad. Um, and you, you know, do the same thing, the same helicopter parenting feels like it achieves the same sort of thing. And that like, you know, it kind of gives you, tells you what to do, but instead of saying, or else it's saying, you know, it just says like, 
it lets the consequences be passive instead of active, um, which is often like so much worse because passive violence, when there's an active violence against you, like with an authoritarian thing, it's like, okay, so if I really, really want to get out of this, if I really can't stand it for one minute longer, you beat the shit out of the guy with the gun and take it from him. When you're in this kind of environment, it's so much more sinister because it's like, who do you beat up? Do you beat up your parent who's just trying to, you know, give you a good life? Do you beat up uh, the society that you, uh, uh, you know, how would you do that? Like beating up a society is a whole thing. Like that's, that doesn't seem like an obvious thing to do at the individual level. Um, and so it's like, um, you don't beat up your coach. Like he's not part of the problem. He's just running a soccer team or, you know, like there, there's no one to beat up. The violence is done by everyone a little bit all the time. And so, and everyone has their justifications for their little piece of it. So like, there's no one to beat up. And so there's no one to revolutionize against besides the very structure of the thing, which for that requires something that an individual never has uh, access to on their own, like organization and collective action. But you're never gonna get that as a child. Like, for a lot of reasons <laughs> yeah and and with with all of that comes of course packaged in increased rates of anxiety and depression right because you're you're going through all of that like it doesn't even take any answering like and this is something that we see in both of these uh we see increased rates of uh, anxiety and depression both in kids who feel lonely and alone and neglected uh in a latchkey parenting situation and in parents and in this situation where it's overbearing and uh uh, no room for freedom and no, you know, like all of this kind of like that, like you're being oppressed, but you can't even really point at the oppression or you're being sometimes gaslit out of recognizing that oppression. Um, so yeah, you see increased rates of anxiety and depression. And another big one of this, one of the things I want to end on the negative effects here, um, because I think it's a very big one and an important one, because we, we often think of you know, pretty easily with latchkey parenting, okay, well, you're putting your kids around a bunch of strangers or by themselves. You know, it's one or the other. It's either babysitters who you don't know that well, who aren't well vetted, or it's just a bunch of kids hanging out by themselves. And that's a risk environment for uh, predation and abuse. But also in this situation, it is a risk environment for predation and abuse. This is something that I personally in friends and acquaintances of mine who have went through this type of childhood, I run into this being a thing in their past very, very common, where they went through a bajillion tutors, coaches, um, you know, people who were out, not in school, but people who, you know, because their entire life was structured. It was always spent around these auxiliary people outside of their parents who were guiding them through this thing. And by having a parade of older adults and older people around them, it left them uh, more vulnerable to predation and uh, sexual assault. So with both of these, we see this higher risk of that for different reasons. Now, the actual horseshoe theory of this. We are running out of time. I think we might make that a third episode where we just discuss political horseshoe theory and we kind yeah, of wrap all of this into that. <laughs> I think that makes sense. Uh, um, I will say that I find it like find it interesting real quick that, you know, similarly to, you know, we we have like documented effects and the negative effects. I feel like 
like at, at the society level, we see that as well. Like there's the, you know, there's the sort of pointing at like just general, like well-regulated capitalism, look at, gives us, you know, the iPhone or whatever is like, you know, often touted as whatever, um, which there's plenty of legitimate criticism of that about how much of that was publicly funded. I won't go into it right now. Suffice to say, iPhone, not as good of an example for capitalism as they think it is. <laughs> but, um, you know, like the idea being like, you know, this, it really reminds me at the societal level, of the kind of discourse around the 80s, like the end of history type of thing, like we, communism's failed and feudalism's failed and every, you know, coherent society has failed except for capitalist ones. And capitalism is the the society. It's the one that works and it works the best and there's no better. And it's just a matter of tweaking the things to get perfection. And it promises this sort of like as close to utopia as it can possibly get. Um, but in reality, the uh, touted uh, positive effects of capitalism, some of which exist to some degree, um, I certainly would take capitalism over feudalism, broadly speaking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the we still see a lot of problems, a lot of problems that are often washed away and re-essentialized into the people experiencing them. Like, you know, uh, I think your point about the elastic response of of kids who go off to college and like rebel, right? Maps pretty well onto the um, the rise of fascism. That, that we have been seeing a lot in, you know, the year of our Lord 2022, uh, as, you know, particularly in Europe and America. Um, and there's this sense very much of like people who reach the age of being able to be adults and be free, but having been constrained so hard by the system that they exist in and yearning for freedom, reach out for the first thing that, that, strikes them as revolutionary or pushing back on that and unfortunately the reality is that the right wing is generally a lot better at grabbing those people because frankly their narrative is a lot easier to comprehend it doesn't require like a systemic analysis type of thing uh, although i think that we could do better on the left about like communicating that to those people uh but you know, there's just this sense I, you know, like Bobby Fischer, for example, was uh, the famous chess player was, was sort, of, is sort of slightly infamous for also being like kind of like a radical right winger. Uh, and the thing is, like, I kind of get it um, only from the from the following perspective. If you grew up in a neoliberal society and the only things that you the thing that you always hear is that society is great and it's just a matter of like doing the tweak tweaking here or there thing, that narrative, the end of history narrative, right? If the one thing that you know from your personal experience is that you're being fucked over and both political parties get up on stage and are saying like, you're not being fucked over. It's just like, we haven't gotten quite the right tax policy yet. Then you're going to go, well, both of that's horseshit. And the first person, and then when Donald Trump like comes along, right? Someone's like that. And he says, oh, no, you're being fucked. And it's because of the Mexicans coming in here. Like, you know that you've been lied to by the other two parties for life. And this guy's at least not telling you that you're insane. And you're like, absent some better analysis, you're going to go, I mean, I guess that's probably it. Maybe it is the Mexicans, even if you're not a racist, right? 
if and by that i mean like not a racist in like i hate mexican people in that sort of like explicit racism way yeah in the simple way of oh that's an outside group well they're not my inside group so yes this is easy to process right exactly and so like i think the the inherent problem is here is that like you know that that sort of like tight tightly gripped helicopter parents sort of like at the societal level with neoliberalism has this effect of in the same way that a kid goes off to college and rebels and goes and parties and drinks and whatnot uh and and doesn't do their homework and goes wild i think like a lot of people go off to adulthood in neoliberal society and say like uh well this is all wrong i'm not going to do any of that shit uh maybe this guy with a manifesto who did a shooting is right you know like and that's obviously horrible <laughs> and i think there's a legit narrative to tell those people actually it is broken in some way and it's broken this way but uh in a way that isn't horrible and murderous but like it's um not going to be solved by more neoliberalism or more helicopter parenting right no um, man, somebody should make a podcast about that, about like trying to redirect men and masculine people. <laughs> from, uh, yeah, like a molding masculine. I don't know. We'll come up with it later. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We'll think about but, it. Uh, where can people find this podcast? Uh, you uh, can find this podcast on uh, anywhere that podcasts are typically streamed or found. Um, you can, if you want to see our lovely faces uh you can do so on youtube uh and uh if you are watching on youtube uh i'll do the generic uh like and subscribe bit uh you know hit the notification bell if you don't want to miss and i have tested this myself i do get a notification every time one of these episodes comes <laughs> up i don't go watch it because uh, it's weird <laughs> for me to watch myself have a discussion i've already heard but anyway um, if you really like the podcast, though, and you want to see us uh, improve it and you want to join a community uh, where we can discuss things related to leftism and parenting, um, you can support us on patreon.com slash raise left. Uh, we have tiers of all sizes. So uh, check us out there if you want to support us financially.